In this episode of Engineer Your Career, we talk to Sally Hazelschwart, a systems engineer working on projects bound for outer space. After seeing a shuttle launch from Kennedy Space Center when she was in elementary school, Sally knew she wanted to be an astronaut and has been pursuing that dream ever since. She has a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering and a master's degree in space systems engineering, both from the University of Michigan. Sally works at the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics at the University of Colorado Boulder, where she brings multiple engineering disciplines together to make sure important sensors and instruments are ready to go into space. Welcome, Sally, to EYC. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Engineer Your Career. I'm Brendan Timrak, joined with Troy Bauman. Hello. Welcome back, all the listeners. Thanks for tuning in yet again. This time, summer. It is summer. Yeah, still summer. We, we always have to talk about the date, even though it doesn't release for like another month, so people are always confused. Yeah. I'm sure so it's mid June. It's mid June for anyone Stop out there talking who's about listening dates. this in December. Use different material. That's what everyone's listening. That's what everyone's saying. saying. Think of something else. Fine. Today we're gonna we're gonna think of something totally different. Something we haven't talked about yet. Aerospace, yeah. outer space. There's a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on in outer space these days. A lot of stuff in the media recently. A lot of exciting things. The U.S. is back putting people in capsules and attaching tons of explosives, essentially, and. You have, you have a way with words, my friend. You yeah, have a way with I'm words a, here. I'm a poet. Today. I'm a poet. So, so to, to make it more uh, elegant and technical, we would like to welcome Sally to the show. Sally, hi. Hey. Welcome to the show to hopefully give me better vocabulary to describe the explosives we attach oh, to people and shoot them I would love, love to give you some more language to talk about. Perfect. Space. We clearly know nothing about space. It's we basically we, what we're getting yeah, at. We're, we're, very, we're very ground-based in our work yeah. and yeah. lives. Don't be uncomfortable. Super ground-based, yes. So to start, though, we should probably bring everyone up to speed on you and where you are, how you got to there. So if you don't mind giving us kind of the medium version, medium-length version of how you got to where you are, that'd be awesome. Okay. Um, so I... Uh, I'm from Michigan. I grew up in a small tourist town called Charlevoix. And when I was a kid, I took a trip to Kennedy Space Center with my family and saw a shuttle launch and thought, well, it'd be pretty sweet to do that. Um, so <laughs> I decided I wanted to be an astronaut. Pretty sweet to be in the uh, shuttle. Sorry to interrupt you. So you're like a kid and you're like, I want to be in that thing. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it was really, it was inspiring. And yeah, I know it. And it just so happened that we were gonna that we were there and we saw the launch from the beach uh, in Cocoa Beach. That's um, sweet. So that was really sweet. So I was like, I'm gonna be an astronaut. <laughs> and growing up, uh, my dad went to State, Michigan State. When I was in eighth grade, we were supposed to research the career we wanted to do. So I asked my dad, you know, where can I do aerospace engineering? Because you know, I read this biography of Guy Bluford, and he was an aerospace engineer. So to be an astronaut, I need to be an aerospace engineer. Where do I go to do that? And he said, you know, Sally, I hate to say it, but the University of Michigan, the rival school (laughs) for Michigan State, has, uh, (laughs) has, you know, one of the best aerospace engineering programs in the country. Uh, So I said, okay, then I guess I'm going to go to Michigan. Um, and I'm very fortunate that I was able to, to go do that. Um, and so I actually got two degrees from Michigan. I did aerospace engineering for undergrad, and then I graduated in 2010. So the market was not great. Um, we were still recovering from a recession, and there just weren't a lot of aerospace jobs. 
So I went back to school and got a, a master's of engineering degree in space systems engineering. And I'm really glad I did that. That's probably one of the best things I ever did for my career was get a, a graduate degree and discover systems engineering. So that's uh, mostly most of the story. Um, so I graduated from my master's degree and about half of the people in my class did not get jobs directly related to systems engineering. So it was still, the market was still not great. Um, I actually was hoping to get a job at JPL, NASA Jet Propulsion Lab, and interviewed for a section, and they didn't hire a single person that year for, for that section. Um, so that was kind of actually like an interesting turning point in my career. I know I didn't mention that previously, but I ended up getting a job that was semi-related in Metro Detroit, and that's where I started like my first real engineering job. And that actually turned out to be a really great experience. Um, and I think in hindsight, it was great because now it, it, it led me to what I'm doing now, which is working at LASP in uh, Boulder. And so now I'm actually working as a systems engineer on space instrumentation. Wow, that's awesome. A lot to unpack there. Love the story. I, so I have to go back to eighth grade you. Like yeah. for there's, there's, there's only a, like, I don't know, it, it seems... I can't tell if it's super, it doesn't seem super common where people are like, boom, I know exactly what I want to do. So it's cool to have such an inspirational moment. And it sounds like your your dad was a big part of this too, in terms of helping you figure out what you wanted to do. Um, but I want to, I want to go back to this idea of you, you read a book, you read, um, a, 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 so I don't, Guy, who was? Guy Bluford. He okay. is the first African American man to go into space. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So that I think, so you, what a, what a cool way. Who, how did you even think of like, I'm going to read books about astronauts to figure out how to become one. I, do, um, I don't know if you remember. I mean, sorry, it's so far long ago, but yeah, it was. And I actually, um, so, and, and another thing that I did in relation to that was that I did, um, a report on Sally ride. Okay. Um, and, and so she was the first American woman in space. Okay. Um, and we shared a name and you know, what an amazing thing, as a kid to have somebody that you can directly look to, to say, this person's doing something really awesome. And we're, we're basically the same. So (laughs) therefore I could do that too. Um, So that's something that I want to acknowledge a lot, not a lot of people have, but I did. And I'm very fortunate that I did. Um, So I, I learned about her. um, And then I think, you know, after I went to, to Kennedy, I was just like, looking for, you know, you got to do a book report on something. I might as well, you know, choose somebody that's, that's going to be interesting to read about. Um, so I think I just happened across this autobiography. I think it was an autobiography, not just a biography. Um, so he himself described how he got this education that led him to being an astronaut. Cool. I like that. I mean, in the same way, you know, listen, listening to people on podcasts about what you want to do, but also reading autobiographies about people that are doing different things. Like if you're looking for inspiration, I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I definitely think finding that inspiration like early on knowing what you want to do, I think is fairly rare. I know we've we had uh, one of our early episodes with Chase uh, and he knew why he wanted to get into racing early on and was able to do that. But like most other people we talk about, most of the people I know, it's not like this is exactly what I wanted to do uh, from eight, you know, eighth grade or whatever, like eight years old, whatever. Uh, I'm going to go full on that just because things like stuff just comes in from all over on that journey. Since you're Mm -hmm. still, 
you know, 10 plus years out from actually getting to that. Like, I think that's really awesome. And it's really cool to see how you were to stay focused on that. Yeah, I want to say like another part of that that allowed me to do that, I think is like you said, Troy, my dad had a lot of influence on me and he was an engineer too. Um, and, And I know that, I don't know if like statistically this is true, but you tend to do what your parents do. Um, and the fact that I had him as a, like a role model, someone to look up to and, and someone that I kind of, you know, from him, I kind of learned a little bit of what engineering really was. Sure. Um, How to think like it. I think you absorb like that, that parents, um, like their analytical process, like how they think through mm-hmm. things. I don't know how they, how they approach situations, how they tackle problems. Right. I mean, like I imagine, you know, younger you watching your dad try and solve problems and him obviously taking an engineering approach to it. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, and it's another, even another, you know, point on mentors too, you know, parents can be great mentors as well. And in, in terms of how they set you up for success like that, that's, that's, that's awesome. And props, props to your dad for being, I don't, I mean, I don't, who knows if he's a big Mich- Michigan state guy, but for being like, Hey, if you want to, you want to be the best, like, here's a, here's a really good school that you need to shoot for. And that's, a, I think that's really cool. sounds like, yeah. uh, he came sounds around. like a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit about what systems engineering is a little bit? That's that's not something I have much experience in. And since you had a, a master's degree in specifically in space systems, uh, what is that? Yeah, so systems engineering, I like to think of it as kind of the glue between every other discipline of engineering. It's kind of a more high level, almost managerial type role. So you are speaking a lot of different languages between like a mechanical engineer or an electrical engineer or like a thermal engineer, a flight software engineer. Um, you're taking all of what they're saying and translating it into something that can help you solve a problem at a system level. That's great. Um, yeah. I think I've heard a systems integrator too. I think in manufacturing, I think sometimes they, they describe a similar role as a systems integrator where you're, you're basically at some point, all the pieces have to come together and be one cohesive thing that works together. Right. And if you had a bunch of siloed people, one person working on code, one person on building the cabinet, like it just would never all come together. There has to be some kind of integrator systems person that's looking at the system and saying, Hey, this all has to come together interact with each other, send error codes throughout each other, shut down everything when stuff goes wrong or what, like all, all that stuff has to happen. And so it's, it's largely like that. Am I getting that right? It's yeah. making sure that that all is integrated correctly. Yep. Okay. That's true. So, th- so you're in undergrad and you, as you talked about, the market's not, not great. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go get my master's. How, how did you pick that specific specialty? I, is that the only master's in becoming that's closest to becoming an astronaut? It, was that the focus? Or I guess how no. did you think about other masters? Or how, maybe if you can t- walk us through that thought process. Um, so I had always, when I was an undergrad, I had always thought, you know, I'm going to get my undergraduate degree and I'm going to go and get a J-O-B, man. I'm, I need a job, you know, like I can't sit around in school forever, you know, <laughs> Um, yeah, and a lot then, of seniors that are like, yeah, preach, preach. <laughs> yeah. And so then I, you know, as, as time went by, I, uh, one, I, I learned what systems engineering was and thought, you know, this sounds actually really interesting to me. And the way I found that out was doing my senior project and realizing that like, I really like to know what's going on with everybody. And I, I, I think it comes from me like playing team sports growing up. You know, you have to be a good 
you have to know your position, but to be a really good team member, you've got to know what other people are doing and you got to be able to communicate with them. And, you know, that's how you win. <laughs> um, so I, I learned what systems engineering was. I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then at the same time, I was interacting a lot with folks that were a class above me. So they were in their first year of this MN systems degree. And they were telling me, oh, you know, this is the type of class that we're taking right now. It's a project class. It lasts the whole year. You get to actually like design something and build it. Um, and, you know, you learn all these systems engineering concepts um, and you don't have to take the GRE, <laughs> uh, which is a huge barrier for me. Like I, you know, I hate, I hated taking the ACT. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not do well on the yeah. ACT. So taking the GRE to me, it sounded terrible. It was like prohibitive for me to go to grad school. So the fact that I didn't have to do that and I could also double count some of my credits, mm-hmm. uh, made it very attractive to me along with the fact that I was not finding my J-O-B. So it was a really natural next step for me to move into this graduate program. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I, lo- I love the comment on standardized tests. So I, same same as you. Like <laughs> I, I hated it. I, I was so bad at writing and, and things in high school. Like I don't remember what I got on my ACT for English, but it was garbage. Like if you were to just, I'm sure, look at me and my like English score of ACT, you'd have no idea that I'd ever be able to make it into a PhD program like I am now. You'd be like, oh no, he's he's probably going to fail undergrad. You know, just yeah. I, like I just, I it's so I don't know if it's unique to engineers, just how we are, or whatever. Like, or just I don't know. Some people just aren't good test takers. Like I mean, I think there's a lot of information on just you know testing isn't a great way for some people to show their knowledge, but it's, yeah. it's tough. It, and especially if you like, you know, you need that big hurdle to try to, to go to get your next degree. So it's, it's an interesting perspective. No one's brought that up on the show before of like, if you're worried about some of the entrance issues, if that's preventing you from getting a master's, like there are programs probably even at your own institution where you're getting your undergrad that you could get a master's without having to take the GRE. Yeah. Um, it this seems was like one a lot of colleges that do that, where if you're at our undergrad, you don't need to take GRE because we can look at your undergrad scores to know if you're going to look to be successful. Um, and I think there's even some some universities that they're running right for their grad school, they don't even look at GRE or ACT or GRE. Um, so um, for those, that's great a great piece of advice. I think that's, uh, yeah, really good. Yeah. And this program, um, a lot of my undergrad colleagues were planning to already do it. Um, and it's one of those programs where you can basically get a two degrees in five years if you plan out your credits right. Um, I didn't because I thought I would graduate and leave <laughs> forever. Um, so I only had one class that my GPA was high enough in undergrad that I could double count um, once I got to grad school. So instead of doing like the 30 so you know credits that I needed, I only had to do like 26, which is actually really nice. Um, that's another thing that's nice about this program is some grad programs have a lot of credits and that costs money. Um, so, you know, when you're looking for grad programs, that's something that you you might want to look at is how many credits do I actually need? How many credits are the classes that I need to take to get this mm-hmm. uh, program? Because I think one of my friends was here at CU, all the credit, all the classes were like three credit classes. So he had to take a lot more classes to get the same amount of credits. Sure. And CU? Mm-hmm. What's- University of Colorado. Got it. Sorry. Thanks. We call it CU. I don't know why. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> no, no worries. That's why. Okay. No. Yeah. No, that's great. I think. Yeah. Uh, as always, you know, with big, big decisions about getting master's financials too. And I mean, if you can do a lot there. You can even, you know, you can you have classes double count like you're talking about. But there's also a term at most college, colleges called senior rule, where as an undergrad you can take grad classes. So you're not really double counting, but you just, yeah, I only need 12 credits in my last semester, so I'll take 15, and one of those will be a grad class. Um, you can do stuff like that too for those those listening, just things to talk to your academic advisor about. But um, okay, so tell me about the courses that you were taking. You know, because it, it's a challenge for universities to teach big system things. Like, I, I can't imagine a course where it's like, hey, here's a bunch of information from the coders. Here's a bunch of information from the mechanical engineers. Here's a bunch of information from this now digest and process. Like, I guess, help me understand what the curriculum's like to yeah. actually help you achieve that level of thinking. Um, so, so for this program, we did have a set of like core classes and one, two of those were the sort of capstone project class. The other class was a research oriented class where you sort of did an independent study research project and you get credit for it. And then the remainder are electives. And so as a systems engineer, you can specify, you know, you can, you can specialize in kind of whatever you want. Um, I took some controls classes. Uh, I took uh, another, actually another project class uh, where we integrated and launched a high altitude balloon uh, I think that's about all I took, actually. There was probably another one, but I can't remember. Um, but I think I came out of my grad school having a huge amount of breadth because those project classes, um, it's kind of what you were describing, Troy, where this week we're talking about thermal. This is thermal desktop. Uh, this is the tool that you would use to model this. Uh this week we're talking about radiation. Here's a really simple radiation simulation you can do. Uh, this week we're talking about mechanical engineering. Here's here's SolidWorks, <laughs> and then um, requirements management, risk management. You know, so many different topics we covered in that first semester, and then the end of that first semester we took a hundred hour exam where we did basically a zero with order sizing of the entire mission. So we got the test on Monday at like 8 a.m. and we turned it in on Friday at five. And what's a can you walk us? What's a zero yeah. order simulation? Uh, so, so when you're when you're sizing a mission, like when you're you know, say some scientist comes to you and says, "Hey, uh, I'd really like to let's go to Europa, for example. How would we design a spacecraft?" to go to Europa and what sort of science could we achieve given that spacecraft? Uh, and I think, I think my hundred hour exam, we were essentially given the specification for an imager and parameters that basically said, Hey, this imager, you know, has this resolution and we're going to use it to, to monitor ships like in the ocean so it needs to have this sort of temporal resolution or blah 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 so like you know how many satellites do you need to get that coverage uh which you would use stk to do satellite toolkit uh how big does it need to be what sort of launch vehicle do you need to 
launch that mass into space? Um, how big does the radiator need to be? You know, so all these things you have to have the first measurement, you know, and then you can iterate as you learn more and more and do, you know, first, second order sizings, but um, you got to start with something gotcha. <laughs> for everything. So the, so the word order is almost synonymous with iteration. It's like the first iteration of the Yeah, idea. and maybe, you know, maybe like you're, you're at least getting in the right order of magnitude of yeah. sizings yeah. of things. That sounds awesome. That sounds yeah. super crazy. Like, it's I, I can't even like, like, I think one, the idea of a hundred hour exam. I mean, that's, I'm sure like, obviously they're sleeping and things happening. So that sounds right. crazy. If but you that's want, super, you don't have what, to, if you don't want to, that's kind of yeah, the beauty yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, what's, what's the name of the book? Is everyone read Why We Sleep by uh, Matthew Walker. And you'll realize that that is an atrocious idea um, <laughs> because you will cut years off your life. Um, so anyways, uh, but anyway, so like, <laughs> I, it's that what a cool project. I mean, what exams like, I don't know, we, we talk all the time. Like I, I think about this idea of like how you actually learn and like how you get yourself in and like these like project examples. And it's this, this is an interesting way in an exam format to kind of force you into that to like, you're going to, here's a problem where you right now, everyone who you're going to give it to doesn't know the answer and they're mm -hmm. going to get to spots where they got to show that they know how to learn and figure stuff out. And like that happens in team-based projects, but it's a lot harder to do in an exam um, because you kind of have to give, you kind of have to shoot for the middle so that like people do okay in the exam. You know, it's not too hard. It's not too easy and they can do it in a couple hours, but with a longer exam like that, like, and it's take home obviously. So you can, you can show that you know how to learn. And then if you've been presented all the different core areas, you can then apply that. Um, hmm. Brendan, have you ever heard of a long exam like that before? I think it's the first time I've ever. I, I mean, I would I would call that like a project that would take like months. I'd never thought of that as being like here's a single exam that you had to do. I don't think in grad school at anything like anything of that like magnitude compressed into a single week. Yeah. Um, like a I hope that wasn't. I, I hope that was like the only thing you had to worry about that week. I imagine. <laughs> I mean, is I guess b because your program was structured around space. Um, was that a small enough area where everything was very coordinated to be like, this is what you do your last class of your degree, like go for it. You don't have anything else to worry about. Um, I think we were taking a lot of the same classes. This is actually the very first semester of, of the program. So oh. you get all this, you know, you kind of get all this information thrown at you and then you get to actually apply it. Um, so along with this sort of curriculum, then you're also given, a project and split up into groups and it's more of a traditional project and that starts sort of midway through the semester for this class and then through the end of that year and the other classes we were taking i mean i think i was taking like a seminar class and then like the space physics class um i actually can't remember if you know, anybody else said, oh, you have your hard hour exam. Okay, no homework for you. I, I feel like that would never happen. <laughs> um, Very drink from a fire hose kind of strategy. Yeah. Yeah. But that seems to be the hardest thing about, I mean, even just what you, I'm sure we'll talk about your job, like what you do, but like in the grad school environment where, yeah, okay, this week we're going to talk about SolidWorks for mechanical engineers, but you could spend, you could spend entire career trying to learn that software and optimize it. You can't, you're never going to, so it's almost like they're going to show you all these core areas on, on a surface level, but 
to even kind of understand them, they have to go kind of deep and to know it would just mm-hmm. seem incredibly overwhelming, I guess is what I'm saying. Because every week you're going to get a new tool. There's going to be, it's a tool that has, you could literally spend 5,000 hours on, but you're only going to get 20 to 30. And you know, you're trying to essentially just figure out how do you learn enough? Um, is it, was it overwhelming? Like, I mean, how do you, do you, do you think like that? You just, did you like, I guess, how did you think through that? Like, I'm just learning a tool. I just got to understand, you know, what it looks like, be comfortable with it. I don't need to master it. Like, what are you yeah. thinking when you, Oh yeah, that exactly. And, um, I think everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. So like SolidWorks is something that I actually know pretty well. Um, and I did an internship where they gave me the manual and said, here, you have a week and you go learn this. <laughs> and then you, the rest of your internship, you'll use this. So like, I was pretty lucky that I already seen that, but stuff like, um, it's radiation software, and like electrical engineering stuff. I am not like in tune with that at all. And I know that I'm sure, you know, electrical engineers are like, what do you mean? This is easy. Um, so yeah, the Wheatstone know. bridge balance is like this. Can't you see it? Look yeah. at the diagram. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I think it's just a way to find out what I'm interested in and you're right. It's not my job to know everything. My job is to get enough information to communicate what's needed effectively. And, you know, how do I use this information to make the right instrument or spacecraft, uh, and, you know, make the science team happy. So, yeah, I mean, it was overwhelming, I guess, but I liked, I guess I kind of just, I liked that being able to be, just be exposed to all that stuff. Yeah. So let, let's, let's transition into another overwhelming thing. Okay. Uh, what you've got your master's degree. It's, it's, it's time to, to get a job unless you want to, unless you want to go for a PhD. Like it's definitely an option. Uh, Getting a PhD in systems engineering is like, I feel like systems engineering is like the exact opposite of a PhD. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like it. it. Sounds like that wouldn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Seems like be like counter counter yeah productive. Sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that, that's good. Uh, so uh, walk us to to getting your first job and what that was like then. Yeah. So in my project class, I collaborated with um, a the principal investigator of my project was at JPL, and so I worked with him relatively closely. And then JPL actually came to our campus and did uh, sort of an info session and sort of advertised like, hey, you know, we have internships, we've got jobs, we're great, you know, that whole deal. Um, And so I was able to get connected with the systems engineering group at JPL and and then I was going through their interview process. Um, So I finished up my project. Uh, I had done that actually like a semester before because I graduated in December 2011. Um, so I had already kind of made those connections and thought, oh yeah, this is going to be great. I like, I didn't have to network at all. I just did the work that I was supposed to do and now I'll get a job, you know? So, um, so I went and did their on-lab interview. And then a few weeks later, they just called and said, no, nah, I think we'll pass. And that was, (laughs) at the time, very devastating to me because I thought, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Um, You've been building up to this since you were were a child. You thought this was was it. Like those first rejections could be hard. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And 
Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but like I said, they didn't hire anybody that year. So it's, yeah. it's not me. Um, yeah. So I was sitting at my parents' house <laughs> in, in Charlevoix in the winter, which if you can imagine is um, a very lonely experience. And I was in touch with one of my friends from undergrad and just said, you know what? I got to get out of here. Do you want to move back to Ann Arbor with me? And she said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, and so I moved back in to this like crappy apartment in Ann Arbor, started applying to every single job possible. I applied to REI. I applied to actually, I got an interview at Moose Jaw, but I had already taken the engineering job that I got. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, and, and I just, I was on the, uh, Michigan has like a career website with jobs on it. And the company that I found was on that website, sent in my resume. Um, I just kind of flooded everywhere I could think of. Yeah. What I, were you, th- can you, can you explain what you're like, what were you searching? What, like, what, I mean, other websites. So the, the Michigan career page, do you, do you remember? Yeah. And then I think I, um, I went to the career fair at Michigan. Okay. Like I wasn't a student there anymore, but I, I went. Um, I think that's totally allowed. I think, yeah, as alumni. Yeah. yeah. I was on company's website. So I was like on Boeing's website, Orbital, Lockheed. Um, I was using people's names as referrals on those websites. I have no idea if that helped or not. <laughs> but I, I really was like, I don't care right now if I even get an engineering job. I just need a job because I want to live in Ann Arbor and I will think about it later. Honestly, I was like, I need okay. income. Yeah. Uh, but it just so happened that this job that I ended up getting was an engineering job and it was an aerospace engineering job. Um, it was more of a mechanical, more, more in line with my undergraduate degree. But, you know, it ended up being great. And I, and when I got it, I thought, I'll be here for a year, and then I'll be back at NASA. And then I ended up staying there for almost five years. Okay. So what, what was the title of that job? And I guess tell us a little bit about it. Uh, engineer. Okay. <laughs> so Engineer. Nice. So <laughs> it was a very small, it was a consulting company. Okay. Um, and I think I was like their 30th or like 31st hire there. So I did flow modeling. They would do actual physical scale models of stuff. So they had um, a team of people that would construct these models. We had a lab space to test them in. And then we also did computational modeling. So like CFD modeling. Uh, and the their business came from just like really any application where you would need flow modeling. But the biggest one at the time was the power industry because all of these coal power plants were installing pollution control equipment in order to meet regulations for, I think there was like a 2015 or thereabouts deadline by which you had to meet and come into compliance. So we had a ton of work coming from power industry. Um, So when I first started, my job was to uh, basically do flow calculations given the specification from the power company. So I had to figure out, you know, we had this fan that we had to turn the model up to. What do we turn it up to? (laughs) Uh, You know, what's the Reynolds number? 
how do we make sure that the Reynolds number is in the right order of magnitude so that you have similitude between the model and what's actually happening in the, the full scale? Um, what's the pressure drop going to be? Um, where are we going to actually test in the model? Um, what's the test matrix? What's the plan? What sort of instrumentation should we be using in this test? Um, kind of a lot of different like parameters. And it was great because it was a really small company. So I had a lot of responsibility really quickly. And if something wasn't available, like if there was some tool that I needed or like something that needed to get done, I had to do it. There wasn't like a guy somewhere doing CAD for me. Like I did the CAD, you know, mm-hmm. I had to go talk to the people that were building this model and say, Hey, can you make sure to add this or that? Or today we're going to test this. Um, so so it, it ended up being really awesome. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of great experience. I mean, uh, yeah, people have yeah. talked about before, but small businesses really just being able to give you a lot of opportunity. But does do a lot of aerospace engineers go into like a CFD type situation, some kind of flow modeling? Is that? No. It um, seems intuitive that it, to me that it would, but I guess I don't know. So at Michigan, you could kind of go in like a structures route, a CFD route, and then there was kind of a controls route too. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah, it's very, it's a lot, it's like a lot more like mechanical engineering, but like just for very specific stuff. Sure. It sounds like what you were doing was almost similar to what like a lab would be at, at school. Um, not perfect, but the idea of because you were in charge of all of it, it's like, okay, we got to make the model. Does the model look like the actual test? We have to set up the test. Is everything right? Um, and, I, and I think what you guys have said there, like being in a small company, I think allows you to do that. Whereas in another, uh, a larger company that's doing, maybe focusing on one thing, it could be like one person is going to be in charge of setting up the test. There's going to be a whole other person that's in charge of actually getting the parts for that and, and executing it. And someone else who's, who's going to do the modeling. And then you got to like do all the meetings and coordinate all that and everything. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. 10,000 signatures before you start the test, because everyone's got to say that they're okay with it. So when it goes wrong, no one can point fingers, all the, all the good big organization <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and another thing that was interesting too, is I got to like actually do the design, like, you know, I could, I could look at the results of the test and say, okay, this is not compliant to the requirements that we were given, requirements management. Uh, we need to make a design change, mechanical engineering. <laughs> we need to retest it, you know, integration and test, and do that whole iterative thing until we meet the requirement. That's cool. So you know, you're able to take... Yeah, right. Well, yeah. So you're able to take your systems, which I mean, running out of time, time constraints. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's all part of being an engineer anyway. So it's cool that, I mean, you're right, it, you know, your systems approach to, to your job. I mean, it's, it sounds like it fit really, really well. So did you continue that the whole five years or were you, I mean, maybe with more, more weight on your shoulders as you got older, probably, um, you know, signing off on more things, doing, doing bigger projects and stuff. But was it most of that, the five years you were there? It was mostly what I did. What again, what was nice about being in such a small company and offering a lot of the things that we offered was that I did get to do a bunch of other stuff. So um, other things that I did were testing. Like I actually got to go to a power plant, go stand in the duct and take real measurements of the full scale thing. Um, Yeah, as I got more used to the 
sort of flow of a project, I was able to focus more on interesting things. You know, like when I first got there, the flow calculations were hard. I had to learn how to do those. But by the time, you know, like four years had rolled around, I could knock those out really quick. And then I could move on to something more interesting in the design. And the when I was leaving there, I just started learning CFD. <laughs> when I first got there, I turned to uh, one of the people that did CFD. We actually had a couple people there that were like PhDs. And one of the guy's PhDs was writing his own CFD solver software. Um, so that's pretty sweet. It's like having somebody that's like truly an expert teaching you CFD. So I, I turned to him and go, hey, so how long does it take to learn CFD? Thinking like, you know, how long does it take to learn SolidWorks? Like a week? I, you know, I learned SolidWorks in like a week. Uh, and he goes, two years. And it's totally true. Like you can, you can run ANSYS with like whatever you want and get a solution. But did you make the right assumptions? You know, anybody can buy it and like run it in the garage, but you kind of got to know, you have to know the right things to put in to get the right answer out. Mm -hmm. Um, Garbage in, garbage out. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So, um, so I did kind of get to a point where I was really the only engineer doing the physical models. Like if there was a physical model that needed to be done with this contract, I was going to do it. And when I wasn't doing that, I was doing small CFD projects. Gotcha. Okay. So you did this, you did this for five years because, because I guess mm-hmm. I'm looking at, we're like, we're like 40 minutes into this great story. And we even got to space yet, <laughs> which, which I'm so excited yeah. about. And no, it's awesome. You have so much to say. Um, you were there longer than you initially thought, but then a change happened and you end up where you're at now. What, what happened? Yeah. Um, so the whole time I was working at this company, I was kind of waiting for the right opportunity. I had gone to a couple conferences, like the New Space Conference, ISDC, uh, to try and network and sort of keep keep my name like out there. Um, but it really came down to like truly being at the right place at the right time, I think because I had a friend from grad school that I had helped him get a job somewhere else. And then he got a job at LASP. And so he was already working there and told me about a job opening at LASP. So um, that's really like what happened. And I ended up submitting my resume for a job. And then um, another hiring manager saw my resume for another job that he was hiring for. So he was looking through the list of candidates or the resumes for like this other job, found mine, pulled my resume out and emailed me about it. And it just so happened. It was like the same day I got a response back from the original guy. So it was like very, like it felt very right. You know, like it was like I had applied for this job I worked really hard on the cover letter. I updated my resume. I showed it to my friend. You know, my friend said he printed it out and put it on the desk of the hiring manager and woo, and, you know, said that, you know, that they, he should hire me. And, but then purely by happenstance, a completely different person that has, you know, doesn't even know that this is happening pulls my resume out. 
That's awesome. So can, yeah. can you tell us what LASP is and what they do? Yeah. Uh, LASP stands for the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics. And it's a, it's a laboratory at the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, it's kind of like a JPL, uh, except we're not a NASA center, but we do get essentially we'll write a contract. NASA will give CU this money and then directly funnel it to LASP. Um, so, you know, a lot of our projects are like contract and grant type projects. So they're NAS, so they're like NASA, they're all the, I guess all the parts about the project are all related to NASA. Like their specifications from NASA. Yeah. Like want, we're writing proposals a lot of times to NASA or we're writing it like in support of another, like we're writing a small piece of it that eventually is like going to NASA. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like other people that we, NOAA, we've done projects for NOAA too, but it's, it's public. Um, you know, it's like very scientific science problems that we're trying to solve. And I think what's kind of interesting about LASP is that we have sort of a full life cycle, if you will, where um, we have a science division that is full of people with PhDs that, you know, like I love. They're doing science. Yes. He's doing science. <laughs> I have a science question I would like answered, please. Um, and so, you know, they'll, they're the, the principal investigator. They um, essentially hire us as engineers within LASP to help carry out and, you know, design and build that thing. And then we also have a whole mission operations and data systems group. So once it's launched, we can operate that. Uh, we can take the data and split it up the way you want and give it back to the PI. Um, so it's kind of a full cycle of people that awesome. we have. So are you guys are you guys are like designing instrumentation that's going on satellites or like the parts of satellites themselves, I'm guessing? We, yeah, LASP is specialized in uh, a lot of UV instrumentation, actually. Yep. And so we have put an instrument on a spacecraft that's gone to every planet and beyond, they say. <laughs> that's really cool. That's it awesome. I mean, yeah, what a, what a cool, I don't know, it's, you say like atmosphere and things, and it's like a totally different thing. Like it's, it, it's not, it's not earth. It's other stuff. Like it's, it's what's atmosphere other places. I don't know. That's crazy. Cool. Cool to think about. So I guess where on this team do you sit? I guess, what are you, what are you working on? What are your responsibilities? What's your title? What's yeah. The... So now I am a systems engineer. Okay. <laughs> um, I am in the engineering division and within that division, there is a systems engineering department that I am in. Um, there's actually a systems engineering group within that department that I'm in. Um, and right now I'm doing really like, I don't know how else to describe it besides like pure systems engineering on an instrument that will hopefully one day go to Europa. Okay. So you, you're, wow. That, so it, and we, it seems so obvious, but we, we talk all the time about communication, right? So, so you're, you're talking to all kinds of people and I love, I love the organization structure. It sounds so, okay, we got the science group and we got the PhDs in the science group. We got the engineering group mm -hmm. and the, I, I love, 
It sounds like the most like literal naming convention an organization I've ever heard, and I think it's perfect. <laughs> Every, then everyone knows what's going on. There's not weird names, and like you know exactly you know who's in what. You don't. I don't know. It's you don't need like descriptions on. No. Okay. Well, this is the systems engineering group. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, <laughs> so you're you're communicating with your whole organization then, though, right? I mean, you're you're bringing in a bunch of pieces. I guess can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, a big part of what systems engineers do is sometimes be the translation between the PI and the engineering team. Um, A lot of times we get brought on to do proposals to create what's called a science traceability matrix. And so that's essentially the PI asking their science questions and then breaking that down into what an instrument needs to be. Like, what are the very top level requirements and specifications for that instrument? What does the performance need to be? Um, it's and, a hundred hour exam. Yeah. Yeah. And um, not only that, but um, yeah, it kind of harkens back to like, I need to know like a little bit about like UV stuff. Um, like uh, on this current, this current instrument is a mass spectrometer. So I need to learn about time of flight mass spectrometry. I need to know how well the circuit needs to work to get the, the scientists the right data back. Yeah, that's really cool. And so you get to learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. It sounds like you are always going to be learning something. Once I imagine once this once this project over, the next one's coming down. There's it could be something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you go about learning what you have to learn and doing what you have to do to to do your job? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I learn a lot by doing things. I also have found that I learn a lot by just talking to people and asking stupid questions. I, I often will say in the meeting, hey, I have a stupid question. Um, and that's having that sort of like initiative and vulnerability is something that I've really had to develop over time. But it pays off in the end because then you've, you're, you will accomplish your mission faster at least I've found. <laughs> um, I, like I've definitely been in situations where I've sat and tried to figure something out on my own. And then I've been too scared to approach the person that I know has the answer. <laughs> um, and then I just sit and it just becomes like a cycle of, oh, this isn't done yet. Oh, but I need to look at, oh, but I should just ask them. Oh, but I'm too scared. You know, and um, that's that's been a skill that I've had to, A, I've had to learn how I learn and B, I've had to be that person that just says, well, what about this, you know, crazy thing? And and I think that's also part of systems engineering is asking those questions that other people might not ask because they've got blinders on. Yeah, I think I, that's, the, that's one of the hard parts about being in a field that's higher level, like on a technical scale, you know, you're not down in the weeds, not in the science, you're up, you're up top looking above trying to connect all the stuff, be the glue that binds it all together. But you, you, by definition, you're not going to know everything. And so like, it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is like, if, if this is an interesting thing for those listening, like this idea of being a system of people, you got to be uncomfortable with not knowing. And it's a skill yes. like that you sound that you learn, like being vulnerable. I love that word because it's like it does feel like that. It feels it feels like you're sticking your head out when you're in a meeting and you're saying, hey, it sounds like all six of you get it, but I don't. Can it's I, uncomfortable. I'm gonna ask, yeah, I'm going to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you have to learn I, to kind of live yeah. in that uncomfortable state. Yeah. Yeah. Which is true of all learning, you know, I mean, all, if you can continue to learn, like it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know. I think, you know, people who like to be really technical and keep going down technical, I, you know, I think even you go down that path, you learn, you still don't know everything. And I don't know, it's, it's a good skill to have to be able to be vulnerable and be comfortable with that and ask questions. And yeah. people, people, I've, I found people respect people for it. I mean, there's, there's time and place to ask questions, right? I mean, if it's a really busy meeting and it's, it's obviously the time to ask a 20 minute question, like there's time and place to ask the right question. Like, okay, maybe later I'll go ask um, Emily or John, whatever, you know, this specific question, cause they're the technical expert. Like maybe you do that offline, but it's important to know when you need to be asking questions. Cause it's, it always, it always bites you in the butt when you're in the meeting and you're like, I don't understand what they're talking about. Like, yeah, you, you, you gotta, yeah. Especially when you're trying to be the glue that binds it all together. Cause otherwise what you don't know, and then the project goes to launch two years later and there's obvious big piece missing and you go, Oh yeah, crap. It's cause I didn't want to ask how that was supposed to come mm-hmm. together. Like, yeah, it's, it's, that'd be a, a, it's a silly situation, but it's hard in the moment. I totally agree. It's it hard. feels like vulnerability. It's a great, yeah. And I will give a lot of credit to, to last because we're kind of an academic institution. So um, we kind of have an open door policy. The, the culture, I think, is really conducive to that type of like introspection and learning. So I think it's a good fit for me. I mean, it's, it's fortunate that I get to work in an atmosphere like that. In an atmosphere. <laughs> in a good atmosphere. Yeah. Laugh. Um, do you just a quick? Do you deal with the budgets at all? Is that something that you you interact with? Are you responsible? Well, no, that's more of the stuff? project manager role, and okay. um, a lot of systems yes. systems engineers do eventually become project managers. Okay, and that's something that I am uh, interested in doing in the future, but luckily not right now. You are obviously getting to work on really cool stuff. You're you're what you're working on is going into space. You're achieving that childhood dream right there of, of working uh, on things that are going into space, at least. Um, is is that all that you need, I guess, to get up every morning, be excited about your job? Or is there something else that that just about what you do or what you're doing um, is really what gets you out of bed every morning, excited to go to work? It's a really good question. I mean, I haven't yet applied for the astronaut program. They did have uh, around earlier this year. And then, um, we all got told that we had to go inside. And so I kind of got really sad and forgot about it. (laughs) Um, so I still do want to do that. I still want to apply. I have no idea how far I'll get, but even just the the process of doing that is something I want to do. I do want to in the future be, like a systems lead, like a, a chief system engineer or, you know, lead SE on a project. But right now, yeah, I would say I am pretty fulfilled in in my role. And I'm, again, really fortunate that I get to work on this planetary science mission. It's going to be really long, um, but it's going to be really cool <laughs> when we actually get there. So it is... You know, just about every day I think about the fact that I'm working on something that nobody has ever done before. No one's ever gone to Europa and directly measured something that came off the surface of it. Yeah. No, it's like, I think everyone, um, 
in engineering, I shouldn't say everyone in engineering. We can think about lots of things as being like new and unique and never, never having done done before because if they had been done before, why are we doing them again? But <laughs> but what you're doing is is doing something new, but you know, millions of miles away, totally out there. I think that's a really unique place to be in and to get to do that. And obviously, like it's a limited number of people who who get to do that. We, you're the first person we've had on the first person I think I know of who actually works on something that's gone to space sort of I guess I um but I think that's really awesome I think that's a unique place to be and it's awesome that is that that you find fulfillment in that and that you're you're excited about the job that you get to do I think yeah. a lot of people uh don't a lot of people may never even get to that point in their careers yeah. um and to seeing that happening um for you now is like really awesome it is it's a privilege too I mean I think about a lot of stuff that I've worked really hard on, but I have to acknowledge that um, I had a lot of help and a lot of things uh, go my way to get to get me where I am right now. Well, I, as we get close to the hour, I probably got to start to wrap some things up. Um, I just One last question I have for you, um, something I like to ask people is, if you were to put yourself back in, I don't know, your shoes, first, second year, um, what advice would you give yourself? What, you know, what, what things would you whisper in your ear or tell yourself, um, if you could go back, would there be anything or stay the course or I guess what, what do you think you'd, you'd tell yourself? Um, I, I know it's hard, but I would have probably looked at my curriculum a little bit closer, uh, for undergrad because when I came out of undergrad, I really did not have a lot of space knowledge. Um, the curriculum at the time was very aerocentric. And I know since then, since I've graduated, there have been more um, kind of delineated like paths between aero and space. And then it's hard. Like, I don't want to say that I should have studied like mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, but part of what I find I lack, and like, this is part of just like what we kind of already talked about with learning stuff is I have like this breadth, but I don't have a lot of depth in one thing that um, I can really point to in like a space capacity. Um, you know, I, I would say I know like a decent amount about mechanical engineering, you know, a decent amount about like electrical engineering. Um, but I almost wish I had done sort of a, like a discipline like that, like, um, that then I could tailor to space applications. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. for sure. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. I, you know, I think that it's a challenging thing and one that's, you know, hard, hard to know before, you know, you got eighth grader reading a book and like, that's, that's what your, your influence is. And hopefully for those listening, if you're thinking about it, you know, that this nugget can be something that, that they take with them too. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to start with the idea of, you know, you know where you want to get to. And so then it's just kind of optimizing that too. But to your, to your point too, you know, you know, your position, the systems integration role is largely wide breadth, not a lot of depth. Like that's, that's kind of what it is. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, while at times it may seem like you want more mechanical electrical, it sounds like you might be, you know, the perfect balance anyways. It's just, you know, cause you're, cause you're always going to have something, right? I mean, when you're the jack of all trades, like you're not, you're always going to try to be the master, but it's a, it just doesn't work like that. It's just, you can, you know, your, your, your power is in your breath, not in your, your depth. And so, um, so hard to find a balance there, but well, thank you so much for coming on. I I really appreciate it. I mean, it's been super interesting conversation. I I think this, this ties a whole, it ties to a whole new aspect of engineering that I hope those listening can really appreciate and understand that there's aerospace, there's going to outer space. There's, there's a lot that can be done, um, with different engineering degrees and open up a, 
a wide variety, open you to a wide variety of different things. But uh, it still also comes back to a lot of the core principles we've talked a lot on the show, this idea of having good communication skills, this idea of learning how to learn. Like there are these fundamental pillars that really like hold up all engineers. And um, I think you gave some great insight today about how, how you do that and how, how you learned how to do that and become that person, um, even, it, even when it was uncomfortable. So um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully hear about you in space someday. That Yeah. That would be awesome. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, All thanks right. Sally. See you, see you Sally. Bye. Thank you so much, guys. There we go, man. Another great episode. Awesome to talk to Sally. So I, I don't know, I, I, aerospace is something that I'm not super familiar with. Um yeah. so I kind of I kind of felt bad sometimes. Like <laughs> we talked about like she she would say these things. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. Um, <laughs> that happened yeah, to me the I most know. this episode, um, which is good. That means we're exploring and, and getting uncomfortable as we talked about and trying new things. But yeah, aerospace, I definitely, that's, that's something I'm super, super comfortable with. Yeah. I definitely felt like even in this episode, I could relate to that. Like her thing about asking lots of stupid questions. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about space. Like it's not on earth. Uh, but, but her point about that, I think was really good. Um, because when you're in a space where you have to learn lots of different things, or, or even if you're just a new job, like you don't know everything, you're not necessarily expected to know everything. Um, and you have to ask a lot of stupid questions to be able to learn. Uh, if yeah. you don't, you're going to be sitting there banging your head against the wall trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes you, I mean, there are no stupid questions. You could say that there, there are sometimes there will be people who will treat you like you ask a stupid question. Yeah. Uh, yeah we didn't talk a lot that about off. that. Yeah. We didn't you have talk to brush that off yeah. and realize that right. those people, they have a certain personality type of person and you just have to not worry about what they say. Uh, because yeah. there are going to be people out there who are going to be more than happy to help you yeah. to go and be and beyond to teach you, um, teach you what you need to learn. And so I think that's a really important takeaway. And especially in her area, which she's doing like a wide breadth of stuff of, I have all these different technical areas I have to know about. Like I have to learn about all those because I didn't, I wasn't taught all that in school. Um, so you have to kind of humble yourself a little bit and go out there and say, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna go for it, ask what I need to know. And it's, it's I'm gonna be out of it quicker than I would be just stewing on it. Right. And it's a theme that we've seen before. I mean, even uh, John Johnson talked about that, his approach to, you know, being a learner and, you know, putting, putting yourself out there, you cued me on that. And I think that's great advice, but you also find people like Justin Ayers in our previous episode seven or something like that, where like you find these people that have systems of how they go about helping people. Like just in the same, like I, I think I try to think about that. Like if I interact with someone who's like difficult to interact with, or we just don't connect well, like it's just, that's just how, you know, statistics work. Sometimes they're going to be outliers one way, but I think there's a lot of people that also swing the other way too, like that are really, really helpful and really, really want to help you. Um, and so I think it's important to think about that too. And maybe this one interaction, don't let that one interaction or a couple interactions, um, make you not keep asking for help. Um, cause there's people out there that really do want to ask you for help. But yeah, I think so uh, interesting. <laughs> the, the thing that I loved most about Sally in our conversation was actually something we talked about after we, uh, stopped the episode. Um, and it's, it has a lot to do with kind of what's going on today in terms of privilege and understanding that, you know, for, for people, regardless of any choice they made, they start off at a different point in the race than others. And, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, 
it, your achievements have large effect due to where you start the race. You know, your ability to finish this race, you know, if you only have to run a hundred miles to get there in the, the analogy, if people talk about it, but you know, I, you know, I come from middle-class home, both working parents, you know, these, these kinds of things, they help. Like it's, it's just how it is. Like it's not, it's not saying people that start the race a little bit further ahead are bad people or anything like that. It's just that it's important to acknowledge that when you do that so that you can help others who just didn't get as lucky. Like it, it's, it's, it's just what it is. Luck of the draw. And I mean, and it's sad that it is, but that's what it is. And it, it, it doesn't help if you don't acknowledge it. And once you've acknowledged it, you can start to help. And Sally really talked about that. And she had a lot of great, uh, insights. That, and I really, really appreciate that, appreciated that conversation with her. Um, and so that was actually my, my, one of my favorite thing from, from this episode, which fortunately we didn't get on recording, but, um, at least I can bring it up now. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. Like I, I have not faced, uh, many problems at Roadbox in my life that have set me back in many ways. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it's important to realize that, uh, people have all different backgrounds, like you said, and different starting points. And we have to really think about that, especially in what we do, um, whether we're in positions to help someone who is, who is younger than us and upcoming or a colleague than us, or if, if we're in a position of hiring, um, I don't think about all these things because especially once you move from academia into when you're learning into the job field, um, that can change. I think we all have to think about what our role plays in that, what our responsibility is. Um, since we're all in this together, every, everyone's a human. Uh, we all got to understand people. People have uh, ups and downs and all sorts of things in life, and we gotta um, we gotta help each other out when we can. All right. Well, man, thanks for being my teammate on the show, making it happen. Uh, blasting yeah. off, man. But blasting off Sp- air, space puns all the time. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engineer Your Career with Troy Bauman and Brennan Timrak. For more information about the show, visit our website at eycpodcast.com. There you can find show notes for each episode and get in touch with Troy and I. If you or someone you know are an engineer with an interesting or even not so interesting career journey and would like to be on the show, go on the website, send us a short bio, and we may just invite you to come on and share your story. And finally, if you want to show your support, please rate, review, like, or subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice.